captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to episode 16 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We are that podcast on the Geek News Now Network that discusses both Star Trek and Star Wars in the same show. My name is Jonathan. I am just one of the hosts. Let me introduce my co-host, Chris. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, Jonathan. It's good to be back here. Hello, everybody. So what's new with you? Oh, not too much. You know, keeping up busy working, uh, watching Star Trek Picard, loving this season so far, um, shopping around for junk, which I'll get into here in just a couple of minutes Some things I found at a secondhand store yesterday. Very nice. Yes. How about you? Uh, you know, uh, just working, um, looking at some potential job changes myself, but nice. uh, yeah, um, things are things are trending in the right direction for me, I think. Absolutely wonderful. Hey, even though we have to adult, at least we'll get to be here and get to talk about our favorite nerd stuff. That's right. That's right. And Ooh. speaking of nerd stuff, this is the podcast that discusses both Star Trek and Star Wars on the same podcast. But occasionally, you know, Chris and I do like to dabble outside of those two franchises. So we uh, do a segment called How Did You Geek This Week? So, uh, Chris, I don't think you dabble too far outside of our comfort zone, but uh, how did you geek this week? All right. So you're, you're right. I didn't go beyond our typical. So one of the places I like to go, there's a, a special Goodwill store out where you and I near, near where we live out in North for sales. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a different kind of Goodwill because I call it the Goodwill of Goodwills because it's basically the junky stuff that doesn't go to the regular Goodwill stores. It's stuff that people donate. And what they do is they throw everything like garbage, basically, into these large bins. And you basically sift through stuff to find stuff and you never know what you're going to find. Well, I found three treasures yesterday. So I found the Monopoly Star Wars Classic Trilogy Edition um, that actually has the 20th anniversary logo of the franchise. I found nice. the, the Star Wars Episode One Monopoly, with ha- which has the 3D board, the plastic trays for mm-hmm. all the properties. I have that one, actually. Do you? you yeah. Complete. They were both complete. <laughs> wow. And... I also found Star Wars Adventures of R2-D2 board game from 1977 from Kenner complete. Wow, that has to be a heck of a find. I My. was I was uh, kind of blown away. And, and that and I bought a few other like DVDs and things like that. It only cost 18 bucks for everything altogether. Nice. Um, now, now okay. have you happened to look up that uh, that R2-D2 game to see if there's any uh, any value to it or? You know, I didn't really look. Um, I my feeling is I'm just going to keep it because it was such a unique find, especially to find it incomplete. Obviously, it's not in mint condition. The boards the or the box is a little bit beat up here and there, but overall, it's really really good. I'll actually send you some pictures of them. Um, but to find it complete and to be able to play it and it's actually in decent shape, I, I to me that was a score big time. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> That's really that. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, that that is really awesome. Uh, Hey, you know, I, 
thrifting is, can lead to some very cool treasures from time to time. So. Yes. Oh, I yeah. also found an E.T. stuffed animal, but he was from 2014. So I was hoping it would have been from something older, like the elf I found there a few weeks ago from 1986. Um, but, uh, hey, it, it's still something really cool to have that you don't find in the store. So For sure. For sure. Know, so it, was, it was a good nerd find yesterday. Dude, that's awesome that you were able to find such cool stuff at Goodwill this week. Uh, so for my How Did I Geek this week, I got to check out the debut episode of Marvel's Moon Knight, which is a limited series they're running on Disney+. Plus. I think it's about five or six episodes uh, or so. But the first episode introduces us to Stephen Grant, who's played by Oscar Isaac. Stephen Grant is a clerk at a museum gift shop, but when we first meet him, he's he's shackled himself to his own bed. Um, so we find out very possibly Stephen Grant has dissociative identity disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, part, you know, his body is also inhabited by a personality uh, known as Mark Spector, who's a uh, a for hire assassin. And we we see a lot of the back and forth you know, in control of the body in the first episode. Sometimes it's Steven, sometimes it's Mark. But then we hear a mysterious voice that may or may not be the Egyptian moon god that may actually be possessing Steven. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really, really weird show, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes for the rest of the season. But uh, I don't want to give too much away uh, about the plot details. Nothing I gave is a spoiler for the episode, so... You know, don't come at me for that, but it's all based on the history of the character. Good. Awesome. Awesome. Now, just real quick, is it connected to all the other Marvel stuff that's going on, or is it more of a standalone kind of thing? It's too early to tell. Okay. Uh, I I don't know what the connection's going to be. I'm sure there's got to be something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know how it's all going to fit in by the end. Oh, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to learning about all that from you as we keep going through the episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, yeah, I know you have access to Disney Plus, so definitely check it out to see something a little more weird or or even just to, uh, you know, since you're a a therapist, to pique your own curiosity about Mm -hmm. how a mainstream television show handles D.I.D. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Absolutely. Plus, I'm a big fan of Oscar Isaac. I loved him as Poe Dameron. um, So that that to me will be a plus. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think you'll like it. Definitely check it out. I'll check it out. All right, so with that, uh, we're going to move on to our news coverage for this episode. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Captain, incoming message. Come closer, I have good news. Uh, Chris, I think you're going to lead us off with some pretty spectacular news. Absolutely. So Star Trek The Motion Picture is actually coming to 4K Ultra HD. So... The director's cut is going to be available to stream on Paramount Plus starting April 5th, which happens to be first contact day for us Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. Also, we found out that it's going to be on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray in September. So that's even better news. But the ultimate news about this release of the director's edition of the motion picture is it's going to be released through Fathom Events and Paramount Pictures for two days in May, May 22nd and May 25th, with tickets going on sale at fathomevents.com starting Friday, April 8th. So for the first time, we're actually going to see the director's edition of the movie, which came out in 2001 on DVD in standard definition. 
But now we're going to see upgraded effects and crystal clear viewing of this movie actually on the big screen. So this is going to be a big event for Star Trek fans. So I was doing some research on this story and just kind of wanted to give a little quick background on this project. So basically, a team was assembled by producer David C. Fine, along with preservationist Mike Matasino and visual effects supervisor Darren Doctorman. And they used original footage and Paramount resources to actually recreate the effects for this Ultra HD. So they actually cleaned up the old school effects from the original version and also redid and cleaned up the, uh, the effects they did for the 2001 director's edition. So basically what Paramount has stated that is that the updated motion picture looks and sounds better than ever while staying true to Wise's original intention. And then talking to StarTrek.com, Mr. Fine also said, I couldn't be prouder and more thrilled to have completed the film in 4K. Paramount offered unprecedented access to the original elements and exceptional support, and the results are stunning. Utilizing the latest discoveries and innovations of modern film production, the director's edition delivers so much more today than was previously possible. It's an adventure you'll never forget. So I'm real, I'll be honest with you, Jonathan, I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie, whether it's on Paramount Plus or on Blu-ray or on the big screen. Sure. So Star Trek, the motion picture was always, it's got a bad rap. It always, people always say they call it the most motionless picture because of the the constant special effects and long areas where no one's talking. There's also criticism that because the story was, there was no actual script. It was just pieced together by several different people, including Gene Roddenberry, uh, producer Harold Livingston, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy gave some feedback into the script. So there was never any actual script that was done. It was just a mess. Mm -hmm. And um, also a lot of people have complained that there's not a lot of, the, the the spirit of the original series when it comes to the interaction with the crew. So a lot of people have hated this movie. As, for me over the years, I definitely, as a kid, I saw that it was kind of slow, um, but I always enjoyed seeing the crew back on the refitted Enterprise. Yeah. As I've gotten older, now that I'm, I'm 41 years old, I see kind of a grander scale of the movie. The, it, the movie always feels like 2001 to me. It just shows the vastness of space and, and how lonely space can be. But it also shows a lot of Star Trek heart to it because it makes you, the movie actually makes you think. I mean, if you really think about the thought of a, a NASA probe from Earth disappearing into a black hole, emerging on the opposite side of the galaxy, being found by this machine planet, they take its programming literally, enhance it, and send it back with highly advanced technology to fulfill its mission to collect data and return that back to NASA. But in the process, it becomes so smart, it becomes self-aware and wants to join with its creator. I mean, just and then at the end of the story where it actually merges with a human being and merges into and becomes a whole new life form. I mean, that's big stuff. You know, it's it's not just, you know, shoot them up or just basic talk. I mean, just the just the, that's a thought in the grandest scale. And that's what Star Trek has always done. Right. It's kind of make you think you know, beyond just basic stuff you see on the screen. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that three, about two years, two and a half years ago, when the 40th anniversary of the motion picture came out, I went to see the re-release of the standard version of the movie, the theatrical version sure. on the big screen. It was amazing. It blew my mind. It's one of those movies that belongs on the big screen, not on a small screen. The detail right. that I saw in the V'ger model and with the enterprise and with different spaceships and, and just anything it, it, it just was just mind-blowing I, yeah. I was stunned and so yeah. to, to see the director's edition coming out 
is going to be a new experience. So one of those days I'm going, I'm dragging my wife no matter what. She's coming. <laughs> Very nice. You know, I mean, you. one thing about Star Trek The Motion Picture is you can tell that everybody involved was so incredibly proud of the special effects that they were able to put together. Yes. Um, and, and like you said, it, it, it's it's an experience that's meant to be seen on the big screen. And, you know, the level of care and detail shows. And, and yes. yeah, if you're watching it, even even as nice as our TVs are, uh, you know, we've got 4K TVs. We've mm-hmm. got, you know, super like uh, vibrant OLED displays. It's still not replacing the theatrical experience, which is even bigger, even more vibrant and even more detail. It, yes. It's meant to be seen on the big screen. Exactly. And now like you with now we're going to see the, the, the director's edition come up, which is, you know, nice and different compared mm-hmm. to what we've seen, which is going to be great. I just wish that Robert Wise would have been alive long enough to see that he unfortunately passed away several years ago. Sure. Can only imagine what he would have thought seeing that finally completed the way he wanted on the big exactly. screen. You know. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So um, that's uh, that's all we have on the Star Trek, the motion picture news and for Star Trek news this episode. So we're going to cover a couple little news items within the Star Wars uh, galaxy here. So the first thing that we have to cover, there's a rumor going around that Mandalorian season three may be very, very close to finishing principal photography. Uh, There was uh, an Instagram post that went kind of crazy for a while until the account was put private, but it's somebody that that works in the uh, makeup or or, uh, costuming department for Mandalorian. And uh, this person posted a picture of the, uh, the wrap gift that they got. Every department gets a wrap gift when they once they finish their contributions to the show or the movie. Costuming is obviously done, and they got their wrap gift, which was a cute little Grogu pin. Then uh, you know the uh, the post made its way over to Twitter, which then was retweeted by Carl Weathers himself, uh, Apollo Creed, and and Grief Karga, of course, in The Mandalorian, and he basically confirmed that it was uh, finished filming. So. Who knows when we'll get it, when post-production will actually be finished, but that's some pretty cool news. I know we kind of got a little bit of a catch-up with uh, with the characters from The Mandalorian in the Book of Boba Fett, so um, it'll be interesting to see where the plot of Season 3 takes us after the aftermath of uh, the Pike Syndicate battle on Tatooine. Right. Absolutely. Um, have they? Has there been any spoilers about any potential plots? I don't seek out spoilers. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. There's so much that gets thrown out there that could be a red herring that could be just completely fake. So we like to try to stick to the, co- you know, the, the confirmed yeah. stuff. So, yeah. And, and I personally, I don't go seeking out spoilers. I kind of go into things and only watch what's officially revealed from official sources. Mm-hmm. Um, so trailers and, and news mm-hmm. articles and, and stuff in like the EW magazine. Like I, I looked over that, you know, with the Kenobi trailer mm-hmm. um, and, and that coming out simultaneously. So um, yeah. Oh no, I got you. I, I try to do the same thing because it, it's not as, it, at that moment where you, it's like opening up a gift at Christmas when you see something special, you know, come out at you in a show, you know, mm-hmm. so I wasn't sure if there were any rumors or anything. I was just curious. Then the only other news item that we have is kind of more not related directly to any projects coming out, but Mm -hmm. uh, the the actor that provided the voice for Anakin in The Clone Wars, Matt Lanter, uh, he, on the 22nd of March, he had to be rushed to the hospital for some emergency uh, abdominal surgery. I guess they found out that uh, his uh, small intestine was twisted up on itself. Oh, Um, whoa. 
So they were able to perform the surgery. It was successful, but he has a, a bit of a road to recovery. So sure. um, thoughts and prayers to Matt Lanter and his family. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, from what I understand, he's in good spirits. He's just in a lot of pain and, and of course, you know, trying to recover. And sure. I'm sure his, his uh, diet is probably not very appetizing right now. Yeah, probably what, what water and jello? <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah probably nothing guy. that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's really all the Star Wars and Star Trek news that we have. So mm-hmm. I, I think we're just going to slide right into our feature discussion here. And since we don't have any current Star Wars projects on uh, on the small or the big screen, we're just going to be talking Trek this week. Um, we're going to be talking the, the episodes three and four of uh, Star Trek Picard on Paramount+. Plus. Don't get technical with me. Logic is the beginning of wisdom, Polaris, not the end. A Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense. If you don't mind, we're going to geek out a little bit and just kind of, we're going to kind of go over the episodes uh, three and four, and we're just going to kind of go over the, the A plot, the B plot, and the C plot. So right now, the A plot, basically, as we know, the crew now has gone back to 2024 to figure out when in the timeline there's that divergence that leads to the end of the Federation and the beginning of the Confederation. Uh So right now, it looks like they're, I guess, stationed, if you want to say, in uh, France. Uh, They're at Chateau Picard or right outside of it. So Picard and Dr. Girardi have been staying, stayed on board the La Serena. They were trying to get uh, the Borg Queen to be reactivated because they know that they need her for information about the watcher, which she talked about in episode two. So Dr. Gerardi actually enters into the Borg queen's mind and is actually able to pull the coordinates of where the watcher is, but not exactly the dates per se of when that divergence is supposed to happen. She says she has to kind of figure that out. Well, basically this impressed the Borg queen. And so Picard actually ends up going to the coordinates of that were given by the queen and uh it turns out it's in the forward district of san francisco and 10 forward he figures out oh great guinan is the watcher so he finds guinan and basically guinan is kind of a mess at this point she has been getting robbed and abused basically by customers in this century the bar is closing and she just notices the the racism and humanity destroying the planet for the first time we actually see guinan being pessimistic about life we've never seen Guinan at a point where she feels so low that she wants to leave Earth. She always seemed to have a fascination with, with Earth and humanity. So Picard introduces himself without actually giving himself away. He just lets her know that he he knows where she's from and that not to give up on humanity, that humanity is going to make a change. He also says that he needs to have her because he needs her as the watcher to figure out what's going on. He finally reveals who he is, and it was kind of left uh-huh. ambiguous whether or not she remembered him from the past or or not. She totally changed her attitude as soon as she heard her name, but didn't say anything. She just said, okay, I'll help you find the Watcher. Uh-huh. So she takes him to a park, um, and she introduces P- Picard to some, something. I don't know what that creature was that was jumping body to body, I guess. Maybe that was the watcher. And it ended with Picard uh, seeing a woman who surprisingly looks like Laris, his Romulan housekeeper Uh from the future. And that's kind of where we left off with Picard's story. 
So, Jonathan, I've been talking here for a couple of minutes. What are your thoughts on Picard's storyline so far? I'm I am really, really excited uh, that we uh, I, I know we kind of all expected to see Guinan in in the 20 uh, in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. You know, once they went back in time, I didn't know it was going to be, uh, you know, she was going to be down on her luck, ready to give up on humanity. Um, I, I thought that was a really brilliant, brilliant um, depiction of the character and the actress. Uh, do you know her name by chance? I do not. Um, okay. she, you're right. She did a wonderful job. Oh, absolutely. There was the, uh, the pit bull. So mm-hmm. that, that warmed my heart right there. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know the, the pit bull and, and being, uh, very friendly to, to Jean-Luc, you know, animals know, uh, people, you know, better than people know people. Right. Yes. So I, I think that was maybe Guinan's first clue that he wasn't a, a threat. Um, and then you could you could kind of see the relationship building uh, from that moment. Right. Absolutely. It, it, again, you know, kind of going back to what I said about her, there's an ambiguity of whether or not she uh, re- recognized him or not. That's been a big thing going on with the fandom is back in Next Generation in Times Arrow Part 2, Guinan and Picard had met. And she even said at the end of the episode, see you in 500 years, Picard. So when I know for me, when I saw it and she was like, who are you? It kind of threw me off for a little bit. I was like, wait, she's supposed to remember. But I kind of just went along with it just to kind of see how it played out. So I think there is to some degree, she does recognize him, but doesn't know exactly. I guess maybe she's being careful for some reason about revealing that. I don't know. It could be just an error that the writers made, or it could have just been something that, you know, maybe something sort of plots coming up. I don't know. Mm Um, mm-hmm. but there was just that moment where as soon as he said his name, she immediately was like, Oh, okay. I'll show you how to find a watcher. You know, <laughs> so it, it, was, it just kind of threw the fandom off, but sure. anyway, I'm glad that she finally trusted him at that moment. Right. Something else that that's going on. If you don't mind speculation, please, so I didn't notice this in the, my first viewing, but after I watched it and I was going through Twitter, Somebody actually made a point about something that Guinan said. Guinan talked about these watchers and different supervisors that are around the earth kind of protecting and watching over the earth to make sure everything stays safe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with the original series, but in the second season finale of the original series, Assignment Earth, the character of Gary Seven was actually a descendant of humans that were taken from Earth approximately 6,000 years earlier by an unknown alien race. Gary Seven said that they would be unknown even into the 23rd century by humanity. And so basically, they, they trained up these humans and redeposited them back on Earth in different time periods to kind of make sure that the timeline stays safe and that humanity doesn't destroy itself. I wonder how if there's a connection there with that. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible. It's it's so weird. Star Trek is so strange about time and time yes. travel and how and how the timeline works. It's 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 almost like every I mean, obviously, you know, we've been used to episodic Trek for so long. Anytime time travel comes up, it's it's always tends to be resolved within that same episode or mm-hmm. you know, two-parter, you know. Right. And now that, you know, that Star Trek and especially Picard has become more of a narrative structure, mm-hmm. it's inter- it's going to be interesting to see how they handle and, and resolve all the the time travel and disruption of the timeline and, and such. Right, exactly. So, you know, just and I, one thing I will say about this 
era of Star Trek is they're very big on throwing in. I don't want to use the word member berries because that kind of sounds evil to some for some fans, I guess, or you know, negative. Um, mm-hmm. But they do throw a lot of stuff from Star Trek's past in in little nuggets of things. Um, they even showed Jackson Roy Kirk uh, was it auditorium at the end of episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I don't know if you know know what that was about, but Jackson Roy Kirk in the second season episode of the original series, The Changeling, Jackson Roy Kirk was the inventor of the Nomad space probe that was launched in the early 2000s. Okay. They lost contact with, humanity lost contact with, and it eventually merged with a, a probe named Ton Ru, and its programming got distorted to where it was to destroy biological life forms throughout the galaxy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was that was a little <laughs> throwback for any anybody who likes the new Star Trek but hasn't really watched the original series. <clears throat> that's really cool. That's, that's yeah. a cool little Easter egg. Um, yes. and and yeah, you know, all these little canon connections are great. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of canon connections, uh, we had a, a pretty cool cameo. Um, not that one. Not the one that you're really excited about. I know about that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the other one, um, we had, uh, if, if anybody remembers the, uh, the boombox scene on the bus from Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, um, it, it, you know, the, the same actor uh, and the same boombox consequently appeared in this, uh, in episode four of Star Trek Picard season two. Um, another bus scene, another boombox, and the same actor. Totally different uh, outcome, of course. Definitely. <laughs> um, I know it, it took me, I didn't make the connection at first, but uh, mm-hmm. did you? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was the, so all the boombox, all the punk, I knew it. And, and the yeah. fact that he actually, that song that he was singing, he wrote that. Oh, and no he, kidding. Yeah. And he actually wrote the, the version of I Hate You in Star Trek Four as well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. And I guess, I guess, uh, he appears also in um, Spider-Man Homecoming as the same character with the boombox. Really? Yeah. Just a random cameo that most people didn't get, but he's there. Wow. <laughs> now, I'm going to check that out. I had no clue. You know, kind of as a side note, too, I don't know if you noticed the uh, – oh, well, I think that's actually where we're heading, but in Guinan's bar – Brian yes. Quinn, Brian Quinn from Impractical Jokers had a cameo, yeah, um, which I I was so stoked about because my wife and I love Impractical Jokers. Accuse hysterical, and um, but his character's name she called him Uncle Dale. Yes, apparently he plays Dale in several different CBS Paramount shows. I think like in like was it Magnum PI or NCIS something like that. I can't remember. Really? Yeah, so apparently he is in that character's in several different paramount owned shows uh okay that's a little weird but hey whatever yeah, i mean it, it that's yeah so that's what that punk thing reminded me of if he was in <laughs> spider-man you know yeah. but um just also brian i i tweeted him about that because i was so excited when that happened and the man actually responded back to me i saw that yeah <laughs> yeah I, was, I mean you've had your nice little brush with fame that's awesome yeah it was it was really cool you know i i wasn't i, I decided i wasn't gonna tweet him back i thought that might have been too much but I had to do a screenshot and show it on Facebook. I was like, that was like cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, I didn't know, you know, about, uh, that this was happening. So, you know, Kylie and I are watching it and I hear him, I see him. I don't make the connection until mm-hmm. the end credits are rolling. Yeah. And then I see Brian Quinn. I'm like, Brian Quinn, I know that name. And then mm-hmm. I see that he's Dale. So I rewound the episode to that point mm-hmm. and yeah. It just once I saw the name, heard the voice, saw him, 
it all clicked. So is he a Star Trek fan? Do you know? I'm not sure if he actually is or not. I know he's big into Superman and comic books, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But I think, I guess maybe to some degree he was, because he when he tweeted me back, he just said it was surreal being there with uh, Patrick Stewart and then and, and obviously the new Guinan. And just having that moment where he actually realized, oh, my gosh, I'm actually part of the Star Trek community now forever. Right. Yeah. Canonized, you know, so (laughs) wonderful for him. I think that's great. I've seen him in other little shows here and there. And, you know, to add that to his uh, resume, I think is going to be is wonderful. Maybe he'll do Star Wars. (laughs) Who knows? Right. Right. Uh, Hey, I'm all for it. Um, Yes. So kind of getting back on on topic here, I, you know, I thought that the line that Picard delivered uh, about change uh, in humanity not happening as quickly as we often would like, mm-hmm. uh, or something—it it, it was something to that effect. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it still, you know, we're dealing with a lot in the world right now, and and a little line like that—it just it, honestly, it made my day. Just just mm-hmm. hearing him speak that as friends of Star Trek, we know that by the time the 23rd century rolls around, we, uh, we've pretty much solved the majority of, of humanity's problems. And, yes. you know, uh, it just lines like that, just give you hope that it still could be on the horizon. You and I will never see it, but it, it just gives me hope that, mm-hmm. you know, there's a bright future ahead of us. Right. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, I often, you know, when I'm feeling a little, uh, down, I you know I turned to Star Trek because mm-hmm. of, of how how it builds the the concept of humanity and and what, how we've grown right over over the centuries. So right, everybody's equal in the Star Trek universe, and that, mm-hmm. and that's why it's had its appeal for fifty nearly fifty six years. Sure, you know, sure. it's giving people hope. So great. So yeah, uh, do you have any other uh, any any other thoughts on the a plot so far, or any other Easter eggs that you caught? Um, not that I can think of. Um, well, there was one Easter egg that said Floyd's Barbershop. Um, I guess that was a callback to a scene in uh, original series season one, City on the Edge of Forever. I guess when Kirk mm-hmm. and Edith Keeler were walking streets of uh, New York, there was a Floyd's Barbershop. So they added that in there. But I mean, that was just a real quick kind of sure. thing. You, you sure. know. There was another one, too, but I, I didn't see it for myself. Somebody else brought it up, so I can't remember what it is. But other than that, yeah, A story is going very, very well. All right. I think we've kind of wrapped up the A plot in episodes three and four mm-hmm. of Star Trek Picard season two. Let's move on to the B plot. This is the one involving Seven, Rios, and Rafi uh, and, and all the trouble that uh, Rios is getting himself into. So why don't you give us a brief summary of what's going on in, in his world? Sure, absolutely. So Seven, Raffi, and Rios left the La Serena. They were supposed to go and try to find the, the, the Watcher. Um, so Seven and Nine and Raffi actually materialized pretty close to each other. Rios, on the other hand, beamed up three, flight of, three flights up from a building and wasn't able to stop himself. He fell and ended up being taken to a hospital where he was treated by a very kind doctor. I'm sure there will probably be some sort of romance or at least a kiss. At some mm. point this season, I hope um, not. I hate forced romance. That- I know. I it, it's. I get because it, where's it going to go unless they take yeah. her with her in the future. Right. Um, but anyway, um, so Rios is at this hospital. The doctor actually takes in illegal immigrants, people who don't have any documents or papers or any money. Um, her facility gets raided by ICE. She gets arrested. Rios gets arrested. 
that he gets placed into a detention center. Um, he's he is treated very horribly by the one guard, um, mocked, called names. He's even stunned with a with a taser. Mm-hmm. It looked like um, so. It sh- kind of showed the um, the the brutality that people were perceiving from from ICE, the, the yep. mistreatment of human beings, which unfortunately appears to be a very real. Thing that that happens behind closed doors that we don't hear about sure you know any kind of law enforcement you've got the people that are you've got people that try to do right but then some that put on the badge put on the uniform and abuse other people and abuse the power it's it's right. sad <clears throat> yeah you know but anyway he gets uh put on a bus and he is on his way to a sanctuary district on um, near the border of uh mexico so that's pretty much where rios is kind of at right now Seven of nine and Rafi finally make it to uh, that the medical clinic, find out that he was arrested by ICE. They go to the police station. <laughs> you have a nice little exchange with Rafi and the the mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the police officer. Seven of nine of all people uses positive coping strategies and social skills to defuse the situation. They find a man who overhears the discussion. They find out that he was taken by ICE. So they break into a vehicle. They get his coordinates from the computer. Um, the police, unfortunately, are coming out, and that leads to 7 to 9 and Rafi stealing the police car. They go on a big chase through Los Angeles. Gerardi is actually able to get the transporter going with the help of the Borg Queen, which we'll get to shortly. Mm-hmm. And she transports them basically right to the right onto the highway where Rios is supposed to be coming. So that's where their story's at right now. Right. So the um, stories are intersecting. It kind of was starting a, to, yeah. it was a kind of a, a split plot BC, you know, yes. but it, it's, you know, it's merging into one single plot now. So, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing I want to say about this B plot is yes. So they have Rafi and seven to nine, obviously, I don't know if they in an actual relationship or are they working toward it. It's it's kind of confusing to me where they stand. There is a, a lot of chemistry between those two actresses, Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd. They just light up each other on the screen. They just counteract each other very, very well. Their their connections are very smooth. So even mm-hmm. if they were just friends or they actually were in a relationship on the show, they their relationship's good either way. They they right. just they work together very, very well and. So I love seeing them on screen. That's usually some of my favorite favorite scenes because the yeah. banter back and forth. Oh um, yeah, yeah, uh, Rafi, absolutely. Yeah, Rafi commenting on seven and nine being able to pilot a starship but can't drive. <laughs> you know, it was really cool. And I love Rafi's sense of humor. Uh, I like sarcastic characters, um, especially if they're women. I think that's why I'm drawn to like Roseanne and Mama from Mama's Family and all of them. And Rafi's mm. right up there with <laughs> with them. You know, good good times with her. Um, you know, it, it's interesting also watching them trying to navigate 2024 and, and trying to learn, you know, about ICE and, and, and law enforcement, you know, and I guess, you know, just kind of being confused by the whole situation, mm-hmm. you know, so watching them kind of navigate 2024 to help their friend is really nice. I did yeah. love the part where Raffi destroyed the window to the car just because she was pissed off and thought it was fun. <laughs> that <laughs> was great. That just was, just that for the hell of it. Yep. Exactly. Did you have to do that? No. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, it, it was great. So I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing how Seven and Nine and Rafi are going to rescue Rios because yeah. you know what's going to happen. I mean, we've seen sure. the preview that they're going to fight on the bus, and Rios says in one of the episodes, 2024 is interesting or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And now I want to ask you something. And mm-hmm. Trek has always 
tried to teach us lessons by teaching it in allegory. Yes. Uh, do you feel that dealing with the the ice plot line and everything in 2024, do you think that's too real? Or do you think that the the writers are doing this to just to drop the the the, the disguise and and really just address the issues head on i think at this point they're they're just dropping the 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 issue in front of everybody's face mm-hmm. and otherwise they could have come up with maybe some other kind of way you know to discuss it maybe um like in the Deep Space Nine third season, um, the two-parter past tense parts one and two yeah. take place in 2024 with the Bell Riots in the Sanctuary District. They're bringing up san- and showing Sanctuary Districts in this season of Picard. So maybe they could have done it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a very politicized this debate at this point unfortunately it is yeah you know? and that's why i don't want to veer too much exactly. into politics um exactly and i don't either yeah um so my thought on it was i think it kind of came off i don't know maybe a little one-sided like it made it sound like kind of like with the police it, making it sound like all police are bad um when yeah. you've got your bad police it's not all of them but the the the, the few that are doing it make it look bad for everybody. And that's kind of what it it kind of came off to with me is that every ice enforcer is violent, mean, making fun of everybody. I don't know what the ice enforcements are like. I can't speak for them, you know, but so I don't, I I don't know. Yeah. It it made it sound like they were all, to me, it came off as they made it sound like they were all bad people doing bad things to, to all of these people. But again, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I wish there would have been a little bit more, maybe a balance, like maybe somebody saying, Hey man, come on, stop doing that. You don't have to treat them this way. You know, something to that effect. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. But it did yeah. call out, it did call out in a humanitarian issue that's going on, you know? So sure. What about you? Sure. What are yeah. Thoughts? I mean, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the episode definitely skewed one-sided, definitely skewed more towards the, the humanistic side, which is, I mean, granted, that's what Trek has always been about, is, sure. uh, mm-hmm. is about, you know, humanistic uh, relationships and, and, and reestablishing that we are one race. We are, we're one people. We're individuals, yet we're one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Star Trek has always done a really good job of that. And I, I don't know if it's just, you know, because it's a modern lens, we're, you know, we're we're knee deep in this right now you know it's like 2024 is right around the corner and Mm -hmm. these issues are still occurring and and Mm -hmm. i i don't have you know the the highest hope that uh, it's going to be resolved by 2024 in our own real world either um so yeah maybe maybe right maybe we just need to be more blunt about it but also be you know aware that we have to equally portray both sides of the coin. Absolutely right, because wh- either if you go one lens, it could lead to you don't know what it could lead to, you know. But I do I think that it it, it is very Star Trek, like you said, to touch on these real life issues that are going on. I mean, we have actually in the last number of years we have sanctuary districts now. Sure. Out, out in California. I'm sure there might be some others around the country, but I know that I've heard about, about a bunch in California. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It's weird how Star Trek's history, future history is mirroring today's history now. So I agree with you. Unfortunately, in two years, we're probably not going to solve these issues. You know, I don't know what the answer to all this is, but, you know, hopefully in real life, that'll mirror where, where Star Trek went as well. So we can only hope. Yep.
All right. Uh, I know we're we're veering into a lot of different territory that we don't yes. typically cover. So uh, if you're still listening, thank you for bearing with us. We <laughs> um, this is not this is not easy subject material to talk about. Chris and I look. We're we're both middle aged white dudes with privilege. Okay, we are not the the people to truly comment on this and and. You know, our voices do not matter. The voices of the people affected by this are the ones that truly matter. Um, we don't know. We're not there. We don't know what's truly going on. And Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think about going into the C storyline? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's move away from the hot button topic and <laughs> let's talk a little uh, uh, Gerardi and the Borg Queen. Oh, I love me some Dr. Gerardi. I've loved her since the get-go of season one, you know? So basically her story started out intermingled with Picard's. They were trying to get the Borg Queen reactivated after their time travel, kind of get the ship going again so they could transport to to places to find the Watcher. Um, They do get – so they end up getting the Borg Queen activated – but Dr. Gerardi kind of has to enter her mind. She actually gets partially assimilated so she could go in and actually try to fix her and – in the process, Gerardi actually showed how smart she really is, and she was able to actually get the coordinates for the Watcher, and she moved it into a file. I guess – I don't know if it was on board the ship or what, what – called what? Shit I Stole from the Borg Queen? <laughs> I think it's how she titled it. You know, yeah. it's not very Gerardi. And, um, but she also thought she had the uh, date and time as well. She did pull it, but she couldn't remember exactly when it was. So Picard and Gerardi actually go to Chateau Picard, which we see in shambles in the 21st century. Apparently the Nazis used it as a base and his family hid in the catacombs, the tunnels Mm -hmm. underneath. Um, And he notices that she moves 15 beads on the abacus. Uh, She also pulled, I believe it was a Chateau Picard 1915 bottle. There was, there was another thing that was 15 as well, but I can't remember what it was. Mm -hmm. So they deduce that it's within it's their current date of when they crashed was April 12th. So they're thinking they have three days, April 15th to figure out what that that's when the divergence is going to happen. Right. So that's what led Picard to going and seeing Guinan with those coordinates. But Dr. Drotty stays back and continues to try to monitor the situation. She's working with the Borg queen, but she's also keeping track of Rios and Raffi and seven. So the Borg queen was very impressed with Gerardi's um, ability to take the information from her without actually knowing she did it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the Borg queen, she's always been manipulative and oh, sure. sly and slick. So she, she, she's tapping into Gerardi's need for wanting to be a part of something, be included in something and exactly. her desire to want to be, have order. So it's almost like she's trying to manipulate her to kind of maybe become part of the Borg Collective somehow. I mean, I don't know how that's going to go, but I mean, obviously that's the Queen's obviously doing that. Let's just be honest. Or sure, she's try, sure. She's trying to, you know, take control of the ship with Gerardi's help so she can escape. Maybe, I don't know, go back to the yeah. future and go back to the Borg. I, I don't know, but I definitely think there might be a moment where Gerardi kind of turns on them for a little bit of, of time. And I'm sure Picard will probably talk her back into her humanity. Maybe the Borg Queen actually wants her to be her counterpart, like she wanted Picard to be Locutus and be her counterpart, like was said in First Contact. You know, so I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of ways this can go right now. And, it, you know, it's, it's really exciting. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I am loving this cat and mouse game between yes. the, Gerardi and the Borg Queen. Uh, you know, I. Gerardi is getting a taste of what it's like to be assimilated by the Borg and 
she doesn't not like it though like she she um she gets that rush of euphoria and even at the 10 percent assimilation right yes in the episode she i i think you might be onto something as far as you know she might temporarily turn on them because i think she's going to have to go deeper to get the information that she needs mm-hmm. and it might it might be almost to the point of no return yeah so i i think you're i think you're spot on with that one um Oh, and speaking of uh, you know Chateau Picard, since we had that vision, uh, did you did you like the little explanation uh, about why uh, Jean Luc Picard, uh, uh, born in France, uh, has a British accent? Um, yes, they, I caught they explained that. it. They explained it with the line that they immigrated to England. Yes, but the chateau remained in the family, and yeah. they were able to go back. But centuries later, yes, like all of these years of fan speculation, wondering why uh, a Frenchman speaks with a British accent solved in one line of dialogue it's yep and 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 it doesn't seem like fans are unhappy either right no i don't think anybody really brought it up to be honest <laughs> no. i don't think i i mean everybody was talking about picard and guinan and you know and, and rios and ice and everything yeah that part got missed hmm. you know hmm. yeah it was a nice little piece yeah this is the first i'm hearing about it i thought of the same thing as you did but i didn't i always check social media to see what they're saying no one brought it up that's crazy yeah like I, I don't know. It was just it was quick. It was just a quick line mm-hmm. of dialogue, uh, and if you turned your attention away for even a moment, you probably missed it. So yes, um, I look for that to co- become part of the uh, collective online conscious here soon. Right. And uh, whether we'll get some uh, discourse or fan outrage, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it. I think it's perfect. It. Ex- it yes. You don't. You don't need to over-explain it. No. One mm-hmm. one line of dialogue works perfectly. Absolutely. Absolutely. It would have been convoluted and ridiculous if they came up with some big thing. Right. You know? so, yeah. So I agree with you on that. Do you have anything else that you want to say about the Gerardi story? I I almost want to call this uh, this plot line. I joined the Borg and I liked it. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That fits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm really like you. I'm really interested to see where the the story with Gerardi goes because mm-hmm. this this C plot might be the most compelling just because we're like you said. You know, Gerardi just wants to be. She wants to find her someone. Yes. And mm-hmm. by the time the season ends, her someone may be a collective of someone's. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, I I agree with you. It's going to be very interesting. Now, before we wrap this episode, I just want to talk about the epilogue in episode four, um, where we saw this blonde woman coming out of Jackson Roy Kirk Plaza, Mm -hmm. um, reading a Dixon Hill novel. Uh, They didn't say who this blonde woman was, but the whole scene, Q is, I guess, talking to her out loud. Mm -hmm. And um, he, I don't know exactly what he was trying to do, but he snaps his fingers I guess he was trying to get into her thoughts or whatever, and nothing happens. And Q was taken aback by that. Yeah. And, and instead of him actually like affecting her, she actually busted out laughing. I guess she read some sort of line from the novel. So we don't really know who this person is, at least from that scene. Now, I did see, I don't know if you saw the trailer for episode five. If you didn't, I won't say a word, but I think no, I, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, okay. I, I I don't know. Like I said, I, I'll, I'll look at official materials. I just, it hasn't come across my feed yet. So. Okay. Okay. It but, should be on YouTube, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it. I won't say a word. I think I, I mean, know who it is. I'm hearing it's Renee Picard. 
That's that's what I saw. Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, I've already listened to a little bit of a breakdown from another podcast about okay. the episode, so that that was where I heard it. But yeah, yeah, um, it makes sense. Yes. Absolutely. So, but why is she unaffected by Q's abilities, or does Q not have his abilities? What what is going on? Right. Um, is she not affected, or does Q not have his abilities because of whatever's going on with him? Right. That, that John Luke picked up on in, in uh, at the end of episode one. Right. You know, actually, I just had a thought, too. Just hit me. We know in the last couple episodes, we've had the Europa mission. Obviously, that's obviously that's going to be playing a part to some degree. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that's the divergence that happens, like that this mission has to go to Europa or something bad's going to happen. And that's what leads to the Confederation. I I don't know. They've been very, very ambiguous. Sure. About that mission. So, yeah. and they've never mentioned the Europa mission in any of Star Trek before. So this is all new territory for all of us. So what role is this going to play in the story? Right, right. I think you might be onto something, Chris. So we'll see. I guess tomorrow's episode five, which I'm mm-hmm. dying to see. So I, I can't wait to see. I'm going to make sure I watch that before I have my clients tomorrow afternoon. There you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. So I, I think we've kind of discussed uh, at length uh, the, the major plot threads going on in Star Trek Picard uh, mm-hmm. season two so far. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap this episode, you episode 16 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. So any uh, any final words or do you want to let people know how they can reach out to you? Oh, so if you're interested in emailing me, if you ever want to talk, um, I have a long email. It's uh, Christopher, and then my last name, S-T-O-U-G-H, then LSW at gmail.com. I also have a small YouTube channel called Pittsburgh's Trek Chat. Not real busy, just very basic, just me kind of talking, nothing fancy. But if you're interested, just type in Pittsburgh's Trek Chat in YouTube search engine. It'll take you directly to my channel. All right. Sounds good. And uh, I can pretty much be reached on any social by searching the handle just a disney geek that's me you'll find me there on instagram facebook twitter uh youtube everything under that moniker that's the easiest way to reach out to me uh we are still looking to grow our audience so continue giving us five star ratings and reviews and written reviews on spotify and apple podcasts you can always help by sharing the show uh in your own socials we appreciate trying to grow the audience and getting us uh, in more ears. I just want to take a moment to plug a friend of mine, Chris. He was kind enough to give us a shout out on his YouTube channel, which is Multiple Idiots Playing D&D. Check it out. Sounds good. Thank you, Chris, for the shout out. Much appreciated. All right. That's going to do it again for episode 16 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. Until next time, may the force be with you and live long and prosper. Mm -hmm.